another episode of Building Public Podcast. Today, I am super thrilled to be chatting with one of my favorite up-and-coming founders from Europe and someone who has been super community-centric, someone who has been very active in the no-code worlds that I'm part of. And, you know, a lot of other founders ask me uh, how she's doing it at all and how she's being able to keep that momentum up and, and being such a community-centric product slash platform. And uh, so I've been a fan and I have to Put out the full disclosure, I'm a small investor as well. I've been such a big fan that I couldn't pass up the opportunity. <laughs> and without further ado, I really want to welcome Mariam to the podcast. Welcome, Mariam. Thank you, KP. Excited to be here. Really glad to be here and appreciate you inviting me. Of course. Mariam is now dialing in from the new no-code capital, looks like, uh, at least in Europe. <laughs> Berlin, there's a lot of companies that from, you know, from, from Berlin. And we we're going to talk about software, the founding story, um, some lessons learned. They just closed a big round, I think, two months ago, three months ago. Time just flies. Yeah. Um, so want to touch like on that a little just... bit. So yeah, first of all, congratulations on the round. Series A, I think it's 13 million. Is that right? 13.5, but yeah. 13.5. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, and want to say, like, let's let's bring the audience on to the journey. So let's talk about software. Let's give give, a, give the audience who may have never heard about software a quick one line, two line intro, and then about yourself too and your background. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, software is a platform for building apps using Airtable as a backend at the moment, and we our goal is to become data agnostic platform that essentially lets you connect to any data source, whether it be it Google Sheets, Notion, REST APIs, or anything, and then build your app in the front end. So it's a very horizontal platform. So essentially it works like a Lego. So imagine you can give your Lego the Lego bricks to your kids to build any type of Lego you want. And we have taken the same approach. So we offer every, the complex functionalities like memberships, authentication, etc., as building blocks. So essentially drag and drop them, assemble the app really quickly. Within 30 minutes, you can have something dynamic already up and running. And yeah, and that's, I guess that's it. Awesome. And tell us a little bit about yourself, like your background, you know, what were you doing? Were you working in a startup before, software? What was it like? Yeah, so, well, before I have been working, I have started my career as a software engineer. For quite uh, a long period of time, I worked as, as an engineer, built products for more than 10 years and loved all things, product, technology, design, etc. And then I transitioned a bit to leadership roles. And at, at one point, because... You know, my love and, and my excitement is all around building products and seeing customers love and use it and really get the value. At one point in leadership roles, I just realized it's not the case anymore. I'm getting too far away. I'm being more operational, etc. So at one point, I just realized, yeah, it's not for me. I'm going to just stop and start something from scratch. And that's how I joined an incubator, which is called Entrepreneur First, where essentially you start building some things, ideas, you start working with different people, etc. So I kind of started my exploration in the space like that. And then from there, it evolved. I So then together with my co-founder, Arthur, we both of us faced the same kind of problem in our previous, you know, career and engineering career, where we were just, we kept building same things over and over. And at, this, at one point, we realized it's just not meaningful and not useful to do that and why not have a platform where essentially all of this repetition is just given out of the box like in engineering you would use libraries or you know apis and all of that and then why not take that to another level another step where you have essentially more abstraction layer and 
just abstract away all those repetitions and then build what's unique to your business. That's how kind of the idea started. And then, of course, it evolved quite a bit. But then that, that's really how we came to start software in the first place. So it's fascinating. It's also interesting how you were deliberate about trying to start a new startup and you went about it in a methodical way, went to the EF program and just you know, explored ideas. Well, I'm curious, what was the night before, like software.io is the website, right? Before it went live, like did you have a strong conviction that this is something that might lead to uh, you know, a startup, a serious business, or was it one of the attempts, one of the experiments of like, okay, let's see what the community say, what the, what's the market say? Yeah, not at all. <laughs> it actually, we, at the early stages, you know, at the, that's the big, that was the biggest challenge, right? You're building something and you're not sure if that's actually going to work or people are going to use it because the approach we have taken was completely different from all of the other tools that we saw. We also ourselves tried to build you know, our, our website and a bit of apps for, with other platforms and we were struggling as engineers and we were like, yeah, this doesn't have to be this hard. And then what we were building was easy on one hand, but was also we take we have taken the approach where it's there is there is some limitations and constraints, but then on the other hand, things are really easy quick, etc. So you can really get something up and running very quickly. And that wasn't really yeah, obvious that people are going to like it. So one of the ways we, we tried to validate that, actually, the first time we really launched it, we didn't do any public launch or anything. We just did a soft launch and we had some some people following us in Twitter. So it was probably 10 people or so. We kind of just did beta testing, asked them to use the platform. At that stage, we already got lots of feedback, changed some stuff. And then it was really very basic, just just assembling some blocks together, getting something static up and running. But what we realized by just keeping talking to people is that they really like the, the approach we have taken and it just is extremely simple for them. So we kind of kept continuing that. So we kept what's working, what wasn't working or wasn't really good design-wise. We we continued to iterate, talk to people, etc. And then the real version of, of Web App Builder, we actually launched last April. And it's not even a year that we have launched that platform, that as a software web application builder. And yeah, that's where we... It's actually, I can clearly remember when was that because it was two weeks after my daughter was born. And <laughs> we were like, oh. okay, we're, we, we did plan it. We did plan to launch it even earlier. <laughs> And then she was a bit early, <laughs> so that oh, messed around. Right. <laughs> yeah, that messed around our our, well, our plans a bit. <laughs> she didn't want software to be earlier than her. <laughs> and then yeah, so we were kind of ready with the first version. We launched it at the time and started getting more and more interest, and because it was already a web app builder, and that was a different different approach, different type of value that it brought to customers. But yeah, uh, in no, the no. beginning, it was completely unclear what's gonna end I, up with. <laughs> It's so relatable that, you know, that early stage, you know, foggy phase of exploration, you know, you're looking for some kind of signal and you don't have, you know, it's like driving through a, you know, highway and your headlights can only take you so far in a, in a foggy day, right? On a foggy day. So you're just like hoping that this intuition is leading to some, you know, destination that you want to go to. Exactly. But, mm -hmm. yeah, so As you said, there's, there's a lot of intuition in the early days and there is also talking to customers and just really finding your tribe, even smaller, maybe just several people, just really finding people that are passionate about what you're doing and continue iterating and building with them. I think that those were the, the key, key things that really helped us continue sure. and were there, get on the um, right track. Right. Were there other ideas that were scraped before software? Like when yes, you were, uh, yeah. there were. <laughs> there were lots of ideas. Uh, one of the bigger ones was that we actually originally were thinking of having the database as um, as part of software. So software itself being a full stack application builder. And at the, so 
we, we realized just after talking to customers in several iterations that people just don't want to create everything from scratch. They already right. store their data somewhere. And in this case, Airtable was the most popular one. And we said, okay, let's start with Airtable. That's easier. And it's more like an MVP for us as well. And then let's see what happens and if people really start using it. So in the first three to six months after launch, like what was like one inflection point that you remember that you thought, as you now reflect, you think, wow, this was a pretty significant moment. It could be a first paying customer. It could be a first big client or some, um, it could be an investor sliding into DMs and saying, wow, this is mind blowing one investor, whatever. What was like one inflection point where I think it set the set the stage for you for the next six to eight months? Yeah, there were actually two things, two main things that I, I can remember. Of. So one was when we launched on Product Hunt, the first version, we literally just got so many customer support, chat requests, etc. We are like, we two people, we are just going to be unable to support this, right? It's just not going to scale and we can't do anything else beyond just supporting. And then the second, so which, which also showed us like people started, people love the product, they use it, they want to continue and they asked for more and more requests, which essentially was just not impossible to, you know, create at a short period of time. And then the second part was we actually launched the uh, pricing and the third, like we had three different plans. The third plan was much higher amount and it listed out the functionality. We really wanted to test if people are ready to, you know, to go in and really test out if they click the button even, right? And then we saw several people even subscribing to that, paying for that plan while not having the features and asking us from time to time, when is this going to arrive? And of course, we had some timelines on when we want to plan, when we plan to launch this. And it was really interesting to see that people are even ready to pay, wait for those features because it was so critical for them, right? They, they really did get the value and they, are re they were ready to pay without having the features. Yeah, that's it. That's a great validation right there, right? Like a great smoke test. If people are clicking the button and paying up before, exactly. which is even ready. Yeah, fantastic. The one other thing that I thought was fascinating in your early stories, and I'm curious now because now you're at the venture scale. Now you're interacting with, you know, now you're in a whole different league, I think. And when you enter venture scale, you know, the game is different, as you know, right? As opposed to maybe early stage, bootstrapping. That's that kind of that arena. So... Was it for you always, like, did you always have an intention to build a massive venture scale, potentially build another unicorn startup? Or was it for where you were like, okay, I'm just going to make a great product and maybe build a bootstrapping community around it. And, and then suddenly, you know, accidentally you landed into the venture, venture side of things. Yeah, and it's an interesting question. I think in the beginning, we actually weren't in the tribe in, within, you know, Twitter, this popular tribe that or the space where people now talk about building public, bootstrapping, etc. That wasn't really that much um, discussed. And what we were doing, essentially, we did want to, product, to build a product which will be used by lots of people. But at the early stages, and one of the reasons we started monetizing from day one, we really wanted to understand if the people would pay and they get the value. And one of the reasons as well was because we were just two people and we, we were bootstrapping. We didn't have money. We wanted to, you know, just get the validation and the value from customers. And so early days as well, before even raising, thinking about raising, the way we were thinking is we really want to validate this for us, even just for us as founders and what we are building. We don't want to go and raise money if we don't know this is going to work or not. We want to really have a product, something that's being used that generates revenue, value for customers. We have customers and then we can raise and then we can yeah, see depending on the need, depending on the scale and how quick we want to move, then we can decide. That's really how it happened. Um, while 
Yeah, we weren't actually at the, at the beginning, we weren't planning to raise that early, but then uh, we got lots of inbound interest, etc. And then at the point, the, the point for us to decide was essentially the customer support chats and everything that we started getting and all the requests and all the feature requests, essentially customers were just pulling from us what they really wanted. Mm-hmm. And we weren't, <laughs> we weren't able to, to build all these features. And at that point, we realized, yes, we need more, more people. We need to grow the team. And then once we realized as well at, at kind of in between that this is working, this this actually is something that people really like. And there is this pull from, from all the customers while still being early. At that point, we realized, yeah, it, it actually in order to win in the market and really to build something sustainable and long term, we actually have to have because of this the type of and the nature of the product it is really complex it requires lots of engineering effort and resources so we we decided to to raise because otherwise uh, yeah we would keep we would be able to keep going but it we weren't going to be able to grow at the rate we are right now be really fast and also build something that makes a difference in in the entire ecosystem right. i mean uh, in the in the venture arena you know Capital is really rocket fuel, right? So if, if it will really accelerate, you know, wherever you want to go, but it, it's important to know the destination. Otherwise, we can go in the wrong way too. But what's been interesting with, with your story is that, so you haven't raised until you first, you made initial revenue, you, you made money, you got custom, paid customers. Again, like this is to me mind blowing because I would have raised much earlier. I, you, you know me, I would have raised probably much, much earlier, but how long did you wait until like you said, okay, we're ready for the first round? I'm curious, like what were your, I mean, you're, if these metrics are not shared anywhere, you don't have to disclose, but is it six months? How long since the first paid customer you waited? You mean since uh, we waited to have the first, first customer? Right. Or the first raise? That was several months. So we launched in August, the, the first version also on Product Hunt, and then we raised around December time. So we did, yeah, there was a bit of time in between, but... That's that's the time where we essentially started getting a lot of customers and people started asking for requests, etc. So actually, it wasn't intentional. We are going to raise in six months from from now. <laughs> it was we weren't even planning to raise like even in the next year. We really wanted to build something to to we had we had some some goal in mind that we want to reach this goal and then go to raise, but that just didn't work out as well because yeah because of two reasons we had a lot of inbound interest as well, but then at the same time we had this huge like requests of people pulling from us and that kind of naturally just the decision was naturally made kind of organically right. came no i mean i think it's it was the right choice for sure so and so we talked about the background of software we talked about what it does if you can think about like the list of let's say ideal customers that software as of today serves you know what would those be what are some like top customers seg- or sectors of the segments that you serve today? Yeah, uh, so as you know, uh, software is a pretty horizontal platform, right? It Because of the nature of the platform, the building blocks and the Lego-like experience, you essentially can build any type of application starting from marketing websites, marketplaces, communities, to more uh, powerful internal tooling and client customer portal types of apps. And same with customers, we have range of different types of customers ranging from entrepreneurs, creators, building websites or side businesses, their startups, and then to some of the Fortune 500 companies. So uh, I think the, the fair point would be to say the ideal customer, the, the way we define it is the customers who get the most value out of software and who stay the longest and who really continue using and expanding software are the businesses and and companies were building portals for to, so external and internal applications, whether it be portals or internal tools to use within their organization with different teams. So those are the, the customers that get the most value 
and also stay longest. While it doesn't seal, the platform is open and we, we have the approach of, no, we want to have the platform open for everyone. We want to let everyone really be able, empowered to build anything they want. And one thing that is kind of a proof of that is on even on the free version, we offer custom domain, especially for people who are doing site businesses. They build out their projects, right? And they can even launch, they get the value. They can even launch their full projects, have their own custom domain and up and running, and they don't have to upgrade. But then there is other more important, more internally use case important features, which are then on the other plans where there is the other types of customers. So the, the current version that we have is really scaling and cannot incorporate all these customers. We want to keep it that way. It's just a different way of looking at who do you look at as the ideal customer profile and who is staying longest with software. Right. No, I, as an observer, I thought that was a great, like it was a fascinating uh, combination of things that you've, you know, leveraged to, to like two levers that you've been growing one is the revenue side which is of course the i think the the revenue leverage com- is coming from businesses which have real maybe critical applications or internal applications and they're willing to spend more and for them you know price is not a big factor but i feel like a lot of attention and hype of software comes from makers and people with side projects and the fact that they to your point like they can still get decent value from the product even in the free plan is i think very smart in my view, because a lot of the times, like there's the, the that TAM of the beginner slash side project slash hobbyist is huge. And because it's so huge, it is sometimes like tempting to just put a gated, like just put some pricing tag on them to like convert right. some percentage, percentage of it. But I think you have to realize like no code as a movement, no code as a market is emerging. It is very new. It is not customer success. It is not product management. Like, you know, for example, like Salesforce, you know, like doesn't need to sell itself to a movement. People already know CRMs. Right. People are sold on the concept. They don't need, they don't, there's no skepticism about why should I use CRM? However, if you see in the market, as you know, and I know, we all talk about education. There's still people like even, even earlier today, we had a meeting, uh, we had a Q&A with no code um, for the NCF. And there's still people like questioning, does, why should I use no code? Or Most uh, of the people, scale? I would say, right? Most of the right. people do not even know there is these tools and you, exactly. what you can so, do with the tools. Exactly. So I think it's kind, of, it's kind of like a Web3. It's kind of like, you know, other emerging markets. And in that scenario, you should rather have a lot of people, you know, the larger TAM of the audience, test it out, taste it, get a litmus test, get it, you know, get it like a sample yeah. of what Taste it is a really good word. Exactly. <laughs> right. Get a taste. And then, you know, a small percentage of them will convert. Right. And so that's very, very smart. I think you know, other founders should take notes from that. And what's really interesting, I think, is actually even within these freemium users, as you're saying, there's so many people that are just coming and starting to use building side businesses, side projects who are actual operators, right, who are people from companies who are just really want to learn about the space. And before they can use these tools within their organization and use it for, you know, solving actual like organization-wise problems, they have to get to use these platforms. They have to understand what they can do with it. And that's that's really, yeah, there is even uh, lots of customers that we see within freemium that first really try out with their own personal projects and then they understand right. what it can do and then right. they, of course, yeah, then they convert. And I, I, in the last 10 days, I heard about at least one project with an on-deck 
And it was one of the new members who joined us, our larger team, not my team, who built a, I think he built a layoff list, you know, because, you know, as you have seen recently, like Fast is a, you know, startup, you know, they had a a lot of layoffs. And so there's a Google sheet that was floating around, I think Airtable floating around, and there was another floating uh, uh, layoff list. And so he built like a little software site that was a collection of all the uh, people who were on the market suddenly, right? And I thought that was so clever. Again, that person was not part of ODNC, was not part of, you know, my fall audience or whatever. And he shared this in the company channel. And I'm like... Shout out to the software. And I said, this is cool. Like, you should publish it publicly, you know. But again, to your point, that person may end up using software internally for another company use case tomorrow. But he got value just from that side project he had, right? Exactly. So it's very And smart. many other you, people you, as well, right? Right. Yeah, other, yeah, other teammates too. But so w- one other interesting thing that I've noticed in your pitch deck, and, and I think, you know, you, you embrace that really well, is this concept of uh, PLG, product-led growth. And I'm really curious about your take on that. Like, first of all, how would you define that to people who never heard of it? Maybe in the audience, maybe there are founders who could benefit from that and they never heard of it. Second, how did you see the value of it personally, mm-hmm. like firsthand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. And the, for us, PLG, you know, it's, it's, there is lots of definitions. And what we understand by PLG is essentially it's a type of company which is growing mainly through their product and which is which is to some extent is a bit funny because sometimes you hear people saying you know build it and they will come and that never happens but actually in plg types of companies if you really focus on the product and build something that's really valuable and solves a customer problem then that's how you grow and that's the biggest growth channel for you as a company and in our case what has worked really well of course like three main things first is really the product itself through product-led growth meaning having a really easy and intuitive use of the product use case and then also still being powerful. So when people start building something, they they feel like they couldn't do the same things with other platforms and now they can do. They feel like they now got magic. They, they're magicians. They can do things that they couldn't do before. Second is really the community and all of the growth that we have had is, is especially through community. People loving the product, building some things and as well, especially also sharing with their social communities, etc. And then the third is really the virality and the word of mouth about product. Again, comes back to because it was easy to build because people really love the experience and they can do things now that they cannot do before is really making it easy for them to share with their friends. They want to share what they built, right? There is also a bit of this ego part, ego, ego mm-hmm. <laughs> portion that I have built now something. I'm so proud that I want to share with others. And I think that part, the third part is Virality and word of mouth. Virality, especially including different growth loops that you can you have in the product. One in our case is the made with software badge, for example, which every free application has that badge. And a lot of people are building applications every day on product hands. You, you will you will see several products launched with software, built with software that also I have this badge. Have a software category. <laughs> I feel like there's at least two, three products every day on product hunt from software. <laughs> exactly. And well, these are, this might be simple products from creators, entrepreneurs, right? But these are things that they're really proud of. They're sharing with everyone. And also that is what brings value back to software. So essentially every, all of our users are incentivizing and bringing all this growth back to software through all these different growth loops, one being the virality right. aspect. So, you know, I've always had this sort of mental model that if you realize, if you just kind of reflect on how Shopify did or the uh, dropshipper persona, and, and suddenly, like, you know, before Shopify, you know, if you use the term dropshipper, like there's like, I don't know, how many people did you know that were dropshippers per se? Very few, you know, I didn't even, 
know as mm -hmm. many people. Maybe there were some mom and pop shops in, in the US or, or in Georgia in, and there were some people who were trying to like sell stuff online. But what Shopify did was it kind of like created a movement of merchants and mom and pop shops and all of them. And then it called this the dropshipper economy. And suddenly after Shopify, it was like a inflection point. After Shopify, there were millions of people, you know, with uh, candles, people selling candles, people selling, you know, I don't know, all kinds of cool matches or leather Be wallets. Becoming shoppers and exactly, sellers, right? right? And, <laughs> and people who were on the ramp of like, they were all the, the fan, fantastic and fascinating thing about that story is I wonder how many millions of people were, you know, would have just gone on to do normal like nine to five jobs if not for Shopify. Think about that. Yeah, like how many people absolutely. would have been just like housewives or moms or dads or just for nine to five. And these all these candle makers, like my wife loves these candle makers and she puts them on, on Shopify. And I'm like blown away at how many things she buys every month. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of revenue for that little candy <laughs> candle shop at, at some whatever Canada somewhere, right? And but if you think about it, like they're all empowered and championed and, and they came to market through Shopify. Exactly. So I think with the no-code, there's a parallel here, right? Even though the, you, uh, the product hunt launches and some of these products that, you know, you and I, we both notice and watch, they're like, you know, they're not world-changing. They're not like startups that would ever end up at YC or ODX or whatever. I still think it's a net positive for the world because, you know, that person would never have made that $80 that day, for example, if not for software, for example, right? And so that's a massive value add in the economy if you think about it how many millions can do that and i so, think I that's mean, just, yeah absolutely yeah. agree we are kind of at an inflection point of actually it's also a mindset change right i don't think it's going to be one day from zero to one it's it's an evolution and really people starting with those simple things but then as well over time they what that enables them is really them understanding that okay now you know i don't have to rely on engineers or i don't have to learn how to code i can now build things myself and that's right. especially within the current generation, but especially my belief is that in the newer generation, you know, people, children learn how to interact with technology, not necessarily coding, but how to interact and with technology from their, well, from birth, right? They yeah, already right. have all the phones and everything. Maybe so, one year old, he's already scrolling through my Apple watch. And yeah, and, like, <laughs> and you're like, how, how did they even figure out how to do that? <laughs> and that, that just shows that there is a newer generation coming in, which is who are really already going to be proficient with these tools from the get-go. And the current generation is really just learning. And those are the first steps that now it's the realization point that, okay, I can now build things myself. And then the next step, what that enables is people then start like new ideas, start firing up, right? Now right. maybe I can do this as well. Or the other thing, I can automate this or build this as an app. So I think that's kind of an evolution and there's lots of education lots of mindset change that is happening at the moment. It's going to take some time, but we're, I think, at the exact right kind of timing right now, the, the best time for everyone yeah. in the no-code space. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And as you know, like that's one of my mission statements too, is that I think there's going to be a million or maybe more new builders, like Shopify created these drop shippers. I think there will be new builders slash creators slash makers, whatever you want to call it, tag. And they would they would just come to market, you know, with, with tools like software and I'm really excited for that phase. So let's talk a, few, a little bit about some milestones you want to highlight in your journey. You know, you've had some great highs and I know of course there were some lows, so I'm sure we'll get to it, but like give us, give the audience a few wins that you want to celebrate and you're proud of. Yeah, there have been quite many. Uh, so uh, almost every, every day, we, like even the customer support, uh, customer love and the feedback, that's all so motivating. I think some of the key highlights probably are 
just earning your first dollar on internet <laughs> from the very very beginning you have built something now people are ready to pay for it i think that's that's just magic and once you really get into that it's difficult to go away <laughs> and then realize that you actually have built something meaningful and valuable for for someone else yeah also launching software the first time after after our daughter was born and winning product hands community's hearts i would say three times in a row becoming number one of the month and then number one of the year i think this is a huge you know huge honor for us and recognition from the community that they that we are on right track right they, they love software they use software but also especially that we are on right track and then also growing from zero to 50k users in less than a year which is insane to us <laughs> um and also I don't think there was a lot of paid marketing involved. So I'm guessing there was you know, zero marketing. We have we yeah. have spent zero dollars on ads. I mean, we're just starting to test out uh, some marketing channels, but it has all been, again, through community and, and word of mouth. And yeah, now also growing the team from zero to now we have 32 team members, awesome, wow. talented team members now. I just today checked <laughs> checked before coming here because this last two two months we have been onboarding quite many people and I would say the the funny thing is actually we should probably have been it should have been splitted across the year but in last year we have been very very small team and really just mainly engineering team and really growing um, now growing the more business growth like how this is technical depth, this is like a hiring depth I think right? <laughs> yeah all the hiring depth exactly yeah, awesome uh, there were great highlights I mean I I'm Pleased to, you know, say that I've, I feel like I've been part of or watched or celebrated most of them. So kind of know, except the uh, 33 teammates, which is awesome. Really, really happy to see that. So like in terms of zero to one phase, uh, I, I know you kind of touched on this about exploration and then how you landed on the software idea. But what was the hardest part, you know, in that zero to one phase of software? Because there are a lot of founders who listen to this podcast who are probably in that phase. You want to share what was that hardest part and then what did you learn from that? Yeah, I think the the hardest part was especially in the beginning while you're still building the product, right? You have to have something to present to customers to even judge. Of course, you have you can have mock-ups and everything to test out the idea, but unless you have something in the hands of customer and you see them paying, that's that's the real validation to me. And the really not knowing if what you're building is going to solve that problem and people are going to be really liking it. I think they, that's the difficult part. And then once you have like very early, even like 10 customers, that's already a lot of validation. And you can then start start talking to these people, getting more feedback, and then finding the tribe, finding more people like this in, in different communities, in different places, right? That's then making it at least you have now an entrance to, to somewhere and then you can you can continue iterating but I guess the yeah the hardest part for us as well was really the early stage where we were like just heads down building of course talking to customers in that period it was also a pretty short period it wasn't like we have spent two years just building it was just several months working alongside our jobs you know also talking to customers who would potentially be interested we managed to do some pre-sales during that time as well try to get customers pay you before you launch i think that's i have seen lots of people nowadays also trying that and being successful with that but i because i think that's even stronger validation before you even have a product, right? This means they, they do need. But of course, it's as long as they still are not using the platform, it's still a bit shaky. But yeah, if you can do that, that's probably the easiest to, to get on track and to, to keep going. Right. So great, again, great lessons. 
you know, I have a fun question. So you've been, again, I think I kind of touched on this earlier. You've managed to keep software top of mind for the entire Node ecosystem so far, in my view, uh, in my subjective view. What efforts went into that? I think you've done a great job. And, and I really, really like, you know, you're like one of my case studies that I always present to <laughs> other founders, especially in the Node world. Like what, went, what efforts deliberately went into that? And how do you hope to keep uh, carrying that forward? Yeah, it has been lots of customer talking and just really iterating on the feedback. One thing that we are very, very kind of as a company and a team very driven by is is being customer centric and product driven. And we are both of our as as founders are very, you know, we are product folks, right? We have built products. That's what we are good at. And that's we what what also we do have to some extent good intuition to rely on. That's I think important at the early stages. And then we we really just build, listen to customers, talk to them regularly. I think just focus on the product, focus on the customer. And then even if you haven't built what's really at that point, the, the solution to the problem while talking to them, you will, you will really get like, it will help you drive and navigate towards what the, what the next phase of the product or whatever that is should be. So again, it really comes back to product community and the customer listening to customers and and then once customers also you know if they request a feature and they see you shipping and they realize you they they have been heard that's something that we we get to hear a lot that they feel like they're heard their voices are yeah they can request something and then within some period you, they can have what they really wanted to incorporate in the product i think that's that's what has really made software successful and, and and doing all of this you know almost you know in building public style i think is is, is where i get excited about um and you've done it really well and and especially you know one thing that was unique about watching your story was i think going a lot of founders once they have any amount of you know initial success they launch one time maybe but they're like insanely afraid of launching again, relaunching, going product 2.0, 3.0, or even soft launches on Twitter or LinkedIn. And I feel like every time I open my LinkedIn, there's a new feature launch from software or, or uh, Twitter, or every time I go to product time once in three months, there's always like some launch 2.0 or something. And in, in the short span that you've had, you've done such a great job of that. And so I'm curious about what, again, just seems to be like, there's not much fear of putting things out there in the market or in the hands of customers. Yeah, I mean, again, any advice there? Like anything that you know, new founders should be looking at? Yeah, uh, honestly, like even if you use, like sometimes I, <laughs> I myself am wondering, sometimes using software ourselves, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, this doesn't work as it's supposed to be. This is so bad, etc. And sometimes I'm wondering, how do people even pay for, <laughs> for the product, right? Because there is, there is so many of all these things that can be perfect. But I think the approach we have taken, which I definitely would recommend the early stage founders, especially if you are bootstrapping, is just really launch as, as you would recommend all the time, right? Just launch what you have, like very, very minimal version. Every time we launch something, it's always going to be the very first version, the MVP. It's never going to be perfect. And we keep improving, but we don't want to hide behind closed doors for two years, build something perfect and then launch it and then no one is going to use it, but rather prefer to launch small, iterate, get the feedback. And if the customer, if it's not good, customers are going to tell you if, yeah. if it's good, then continue building on top of that. I think that's the thing, right? Where customers are, you know, uh, ruthless in market. I mean, I feel like at the end of the day, the market is very, you know, impartial, like unbiased. They will tell you through their actions, you know, through uh, like churning or through like customer support tickets or through whatever, they will like make sure 
Yes, they, they will, will always voice... complain. <laughs> you know, people will always complain if something doesn't work or it's not working right. as, as supposed. So you will always know. And also probably one other thing that really helped, which I would recommend as well to do for the early products is really just making sure this feedback is flowing to you. So some ways would be just having an open support chat always there because then if, if it's there, people are going to write you, right? So that's probably the difficult part when it's hidden. People do not even contact or do not even send feedback anywhere or have a way for your product in your website to to way to submit feedback so if that's the case then people will submit for sure something if they're using the product yeah i mean i fully agree i mean i think just having an open line with customers it's a no-brainer but it, it is a hard thing and a lot of founders shy away from it again because of fear of failure or or most importantly i think probably fear i mean the the perfection syndrome it's huge right because they're like oh it's not perfect yet i'm not gonna put it out there but most people are actually, most people are more forgiving than you give them credit for, but they're also honest. So you have to respect. No, actually people start liking that, that you're really yeah. launching and involving them because I think that is more what makes the, the feeling of community, the feeling of people giving back to each other, right? And then the community feels so open to give back to you, to tell you what to do because then they are involved. They feel like they are part of what you're building. They have a small seat at the table. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So I have one other fun question. Like who's been a virtual mentor or inspiring figure who helped you indirectly and they don't know it yet? Give them a shout out. That's an interesting question. I, I think it's so hard to differentiate one or two persons. But I think throughout my life, I have had, you know, in early days, my father has been very inspirational to me and, you know, always made made me believe that I can do anything. <laughs> I think that's a good lesson for me to also pass it to my, my children. And then also lots of many incredible women leaders, uh, like especially building big companies and really interesting companies. And then also alongside, yeah, all of your peers, all of your team members, you always learn every day something from them. You get inspired by by customers. Like one, one thing that we like joking is in every other company, customer support feels like the worst job to do because you always get all the complaints from customers. In our case, like daily, we, we keep sharing our, our love from customers. Like sometimes people, people just book calls to tell us how happy they are with software. Sometimes they just, like a lot of the times daily, they send love messages in software, in, in, in the support chat or in Twitter. We're like, this, this is a huge motivation. And this is kind of part of the inspiration that we get every day. It's like an <laughs> adrenaline. <laughs> so some additional motivational boosts that, we, that keeps us going. That's fantastic. So, okay, so moving on. And then I have last question is, are you hiring for any roles right now? Feel free to shout them out if you do. We do. Yes, we do. We hire across all different roles. <laughs> we are hiring for community people, for product growth, more operational roles. And yeah, you can you can also find all of our jobs listed on software.io slash jobs. And feel free to apply if you believe you can make, um, make the impact and you can help us bring software to the next level. Definitely happy to hear, to see everyone's everyone's contribution and CVs if there is any interested folks. And I'll say that, you know, you should definitely make your resume a software site or something. You know, if I were, if I were an applicant, that's what I would do because it's so easy to build uh, using software. All right. So where can people find software? I mean, I think we talked about it, but where can people find more about software and more about you on, on the internet? So Twitter is the main place where software is trending, I guess. <laughs> and if you search for software, you will definitely find find from different other people as well. So I'm also on Twitter. I'm not that active recently just because of some time limitations, but yeah, I'm definitely there. And you can also learn about software in our YouTube channel and also from all of the other, you know, uh, creators, people 
in, in YouTube building different tutorials, just you can search for software. But yeah, we have the YouTube channel and the Twitter channel, most importantly. Fantastic. And of course, go to the website, software.io. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mariam. That was awesome. You know, appreciate you spending some time and kind of sharing your lessons and uh, walking through the memory lane of early days of software. Uh, it was a it was a blast, and can't wait to you know continue working for software and using it myself too. Thank you, thank you, KP, for the invite. It was great to chat, and yeah, share what we have done so far. Awesome. See you.